You're listening to Decay Mag Sessions. Exclusive interview. Filmmaker Jeremy Herbert. Greetings. You're listening to DK Mag Sessions. I am your host, Ken Artus, founder of DK Mag. You can find us on the web at D-E-C-A-Y-M-A-G.com. You can also find us across social networking platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Anchor FM, Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. Simply search DK Mag. DK Mag Sessions, Episode 4. This is an exclusive interview podcast session where we sit down with a conversation slash interview with filmmakers, directors, writers, producers, musicians in the field of horror, science fiction, and thriller. This week, I had the pleasure to speak with filmmaker Jeremy Herbert, and we'll be discussing his latest release, The Childish Things, and we'll also delve into his previous work titled Killer Deal. Killer Deal went on to win Best Horror Film at the inaugural 2016 Nightmares Film Festival, and The Childish Thing earned a nomination for Best Ohio Short at the 2017 Nightmares Film Festival. Without further ado, here's my interview with Mr. Jeremy Herbert. Thank you for joining me this afternoon, Mr. Herbert. Thank you for having me. It's always nice to be had. And I'd like to start off our interviews with an origin story in which uh, you'd uh, take the time to tell the audience a bit about yourself, uh, those who aren't familiar with your work or who haven't seen your films, and so on and so forth. Ooh, okay. This is always the hardest part of uh, dating profiles to fill out. Um, <laughs> well, uh, I love movies. I feel like that's that's pretty straightforward. Growing up, uh, you know, my parents were big on them, and, and so that just kind of spread to us. Um, I wanted to be a writer for a long time. I wanted to design theme park attractions, and then I realized... Uh, this thing that I do all the time, which is watch movies, like I could do that. Okay, well, why don't I do that? Um, and kind of in high school, I took it seriously, and then I took it too seriously, and then uh, uh, through college, I kind of mellowed out and found what kind of stories I want to tell. Um, and I made a bunch of sketches and things in college for a show, and that's where I met most of the people I work with now. But here we are. And with horror, per se, I was very much, it did its job on me as a kid. I did not like it. I avoided it. Um, it had kind of that forbidden appeal. I remember around Halloween, glimpses of uh, Halloween 3, Season of the Witch on AMC, as my brother and my dad watched. And I would want to see it, but it's the last thing in the world I'd also want to see at the same time. Um, and only eh, maybe the past five years or so, I've kind of come around to appreciate horror and uh, 
now I just have fun with it. And piggybacking off of that, uh, what enticed your interest with horror since you had no uh, connection with it for so long? I think I think it was an understanding. Um, I there's still some corners of horror that I don't like. Uh, I'm I'm never. I can't think of a single kind of torture-heavy horror movie that I dig. Um, as you can now attest, I'm not a big blood guy. Uh, the only, I mean, I love Evil Dead, but by the same token, I, I can't think of a story where I'd want to show that much blood. But what got me into horror was kind of understanding certain horror movies that it's not just a masked guy with a knife wandering co-eds through a, a haunted house. Like John Carpenter is still probably my favorite horror director. And through Halloween and The Thing, I started kind of appreciating, okay, these movies are terrifying naturally, but there's more going on under the hood than just, oh, it's a, it's a creepy guy uh, who likes hacking people up. And boy, I hope he doesn't hack up the, the main character. Um, and I like that they can be allegories. Horror, more than any other genre, you can take a metaphor. You know, it, most horror movies is genuinely being afraid of the Grim Reaper. And in these movies, the Grim Reaper is a character. It's Michael Myers. It's uh, it's Jason. It's, it's Freddy Krueger. And obviously that's dumbing it down. But you can take a very metaphorical conflict and make it entirely literal. Um, which is kind of what the childish thing was. And it doesn't seem like it's entirely uh, literal. It doesn't seem like it's just kind of a figure of speech. It's still a horror movie. You can still have fun with it. Right. And horror movie also serves as a great platform to present social commentaries. And we could see that evidence with George Romero all the way down to uh, what indie filmmakers are presenting now, uh, there is always that underlying message. And when audiences work out the theater or you know, pause the VOD uh, film on at home, they start to think, okay, this is what the filmmaker, and that's what sparks debate. And that's why things like Get Out uh, are going to be wonderfully revolutionary for the horror genre is that it was kind of quiet for a while, except in the independent sphere, but now you have one of the top grossing, maybe movies in general, it's not, I know specifically horror, but uh, of last year, and it's a horror movie that is explicitly uh, about social, com has social commentary. Um, and it's been a long time since I think we've had a really prominent one to do that. And like you said, India's kind of been doing it the whole time, which is one of the reasons that indie horror is kind of dangerous. Um, but exactly, I remember watching Night of the Living Dead, which is probably one of my first horror movies. Um, one Halloween on a random cable channel, and I remember watching it, and again, it did its job. Uh, but I remember thinking, like, there's a lot going on behind the scenes of this movie. Right, right. And I, I believe both... Night of the Living Dead and Get Out serves the same social commentary which has to do with racial issues. And look, at both films uh, totally opposite yet convey 
the same message. Entirely. Um, I think Night of the Living Dead, I mean, the casting of the lead was almost accidental in that he just got the job because he was the best guy that read for it. Um, and so it's great to see Get Out cover similar ground, but then do it with intention um, and go that much further with it. Yeah, that was that was genius work. And I knew it off the bat when I heard about that movie. The the, the initial casting, uh, th th something's going to happen with this film, and lo and behold, look what happened. <laughs> mm -hmm. <coughs> you can't ignore it. Uh, absolutely, you can't. And reading off of the email that you sent me, one of the things that strike me as, as uh, interesting is the way you emphasize and how you keep costs down in your film production. Uh, share some insight on, on that. Um, well, I don't pay anybody. That's really the key. Uh, um, I say that half jokingly. I mean, we all, we're all in this together. Um, you know, I present it to everybody straight up. That, like, this is not, if I had money to pay anybody, I'd pay anybody. But right now, I think this movie costs $200, uh, uh, most of mine. And the to me, it's like, all right, that's a low stakes gamble. That way, if nothing comes of it, you know, some people drove to the location, they wasted some days. I'm out two hundred dollars. That's not that's not insurmountable. Um, and I forget who it was. There are a couple folks that uh, work on that worked on this one. I, we talked to them in the past, and they uh, they kind of said they hope I never get a budget, so that I just keep having to get slightly more creative in how I spend um, the little money we have on it. But uh, it also comes down to just looking at what we have and writing at it. Um, you know, I, I was never intending on making, uh, you know, World War Z, because certainly I don't have any of that kind of money. <laughs> and I think that's something that um, you kind of have to grow into a little bit. Like high school, I was trying to write those movies and make them. And it didn't work. Uh, one of the first big projects I did was trying to essentially remake Blade Runner for no money uh, in my high school, and it didn't work. Uh, so it comes down to, okay, what do we have? What can we make? And what's the, the one big challenge for this next project? What have we done before? Um, and I'm hoping, you know, the next one is maybe the last one before, okay, we start raising money. Uh, by some means, and we start paying everybody. But this was still a very grounded. And I don't want anyone to, to think I'm taking advantage of anybody. I did not get paid either. And right now, as of now, I've spent more sending the movie places than it took to make the movie. Oh, and m most of our listeners are not aware, especially if uh, you're an aspiring filmmaker, there are resources out there that you could find actors you just type on you know go online use google and there's actors that are willing to work for free non-sag actors they just need the credits to build up their resume they'll go on set you just have to feed them that's or or a car fare or mm -hmm. whatever and basically you have good at quality actors to portray the roles and 
you know, he gets some uh, friends, acquaintances within the within the network to help with the cinematography or whatever. So I believe it 100%. That is the perfect way to go when you're starting a film. Uh, zero and then work your way up, perhaps crowdfunding. Is that something you'll consider later on, crowdfunding platform? Um, crowdfunding scares me uh, a little bit. Just because in part, from a self-deprecating standpoint, even if I put up, let's say, trailers for this and for the last project we did, which which pick, even picked up an award, it's sort of that imposter syndrome. Where I'm like, why would anyone give me money based on this to do anything crazier? Um, and likewise, gambling with other people's money is what is what scares me. And I certainly know um you know down the road if i keep at this and and we do keep upping the ante eventually that will happen however there's something about that platform that it it kind of spooks me out and to a point i don't think we need it yet and i think that's the key it's like i don't want to ask for money unless we absolutely need it and i'm not convinced we will yet at first when i heard of when crowdfunding was in its infancy Everyone was making fun of it. Uh, uh, they were comparing it to online panhandling. But now everybody's just jumping on the platform. You see people starting a crowdfunding to get plastic surgery. So now it's like acceptable behavior now. So I guess. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember those, those kind of rumors. Everyone kind of scoffed at it. Um, and you know, now there was that one, I think it was an Indiegogo joke where someone raised like tens of thousands if not hundreds of thousands of dollars to make i think it was an egg salad sandwich <laughs> yeah i heard um, about that yes and now it's like okay yeah but people still sent money <laughs> exactly that's not a joke and the funny thing with crowdfunding as you mentioned is a gamble because i see filmmakers they have great ideas and they don't get the funding yet someone you're just starting out somehow some way they manipulate the algorithm and boom they get full funding for their film so that in that in itself is a gamble when that's and it kind of comes down to marketing social media presence and uh both things i don't have much affinity for um because like the last movie it played in two places despite sending it to many more, no one picked it up. Um, and I just kind of let it go. And finally, now I think a year and a half later, it's going to be uh, premiering online. But with this one, I'm like, all right, how am I, how do we market these movies? And there's no right answer. There are plenty of wrong answers, but there's no right answer. Um, because again, without money, okay, how do we get the word out? One way is, you know, how, why I'm talking to you right now, essentially. Um, and that's the trick. Like a lot of the, a lot of people starting out, maybe they've never made a movie before, but if they have several thousand followers and um, they know how to work, <laughs> sounds like a conspiracy. They know how to work the system. Um, they can raise that money like that. And again, my thing is, I think Kickstarter just added this clause, um, where essentially, if you raise the money, you are legally obligated to deliver a product. Uh, which like that gives me night sweats, but with with this movie, let's say with Childish Thing, we shot it, and it was a little bit into the movie, 
before we shot anything with the monster because I was still figuring it out uh, and hoping and praying that it would work. And if we crowdfunded, let's say we get to that point and we shoot it. I'm like, there is no way on God's green earth we're ever going to show this to a single human soul. This is, nope, abort, this is fine. <laughs> I couldn't do that with crowdfunding. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd be held legally accountable and have right. to send people a terrible DVD. <laughs> Well, perhaps not. Yeah, you never you never know. Uh, but but I'm curious. Uh, what is it that that puts the fright? Is it the 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 fact that you would have the money to create something with CGI or something with practical effects, or the fact that it won't be up to par compared to your other films that you? So, what exactly is the nature? Well, it's certainly not that second one. Uh, not saying that the other film is bad, but it, it similarly has uh, some some practical effects that you know we we did at garage sale prices. But I th well, I think it's uh, it's probably it's not our movie. I always in my head will see posters or stills from other projects. Uh, at our level per se. And um I'll look at them and I'll think, man, they're they're gonna they're gonna kick our ass essentially. Like they they did this so much better and it looks so much nicer and they probably spent way more money on it. And then look at what we're doing for the price of a new microwave. Um and when in reality that's the A that's only my problem. B that's just kind of natural as any kind of artist or creator is to look at everyone else and whether you sit, say it or not think like man we we do not deserve to be here um but also that's just me um because i like everyone's work on the movie i'm so proud of uh and and at some point in this interview i'm just going to rattle off everyone's names but um i look at what i did on it i'm like oof that was rough that was ragged now I like it, but I do think some of it is, it, it's just kind of assuming, well, man, at this level, you know, maybe we need a little more money, but I don't want that much more money. I mean, to a point, it could just be uh, a self-defeating prophecy. You know, it's me keeping myself at some level, but that's a very deep answer to this question, very psychological answer. Uh, I think it's more of a, just a grounded gamble thing. I, the horror movies I love, you know, cost relative pennies on the dollar. Not that any of these movies on the indie circuit necessarily don't, but we are, you know, again, microwave prices. I want to see if I can do something worthwhile before I have money, you know, before I have a budget too far into the, you know, the four digit range. No. Well, that that would come soon, and once that happens, uh, I know your 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 creative instinct is gonna kick in. I, I hope so. I mean, that's because to me, that's the fun of making a movie is that it's high speed, uh, repeated problem solving. And one of those is okay. How do we make this thing that's on the page, which was written for free? look real case in point the monster 
in the childish thing. Because I remember sending out that script and expecting somebody to really doubt that it was going to work. And to their credit, nobody did. Uh, I think they only started doubting partway through production when they'd ask, what's what's the monster going to be? And I'd say, well, I'm thinking about it. And that is key to every supernatural horror film is the monster. And looking at the poster art for the childish thing, I was expecting something hideous and that was not the case. Yeah. What and was the I, metaphor I for that? For not spoiling uh, how it looks in any stills that you might have grabbed. Because uh, after I sent it off, I'm like, oh, man, we could be sunk if anyone sees what this thing looks like. Um, yeah, it's uh, let me tell you, that was a, a constant concern while we were shooting it. I would keep there was one moment where I watched someone. Well, several people performing this thing. And I looked through the lens. I'm like, this looks great. It's going to work. And then I lowered it. And I saw actually how it was maneuvered. And I just, I, I think I might have even said it out loud. I just went, I don't know, guys. Um, because it was that kind of haphazard. Uh, but the reason it looks that way is because I saw that thing when I was a kid. Um, and I think looking back on it, it was probably a night terror. Because it always happened in the same room. And the room never changed when I saw it. But pretty much exactly as you see it in that movie is what I saw. Um, the only thing we changed were the eyes to make them a little more creepy. But that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, creepy. <laughs> yeah, it's because uh, we. I wanted it to be. If, the longer you stare at it, you know, the funnier it looks. And if you're not careful, it looks silly. And and my goal was when you kind of first see it, the the glimpses of it, it's it's very un it's unnerving, it's unnatural. Then when you kind of and you think we're going to kind of pull a jaws and you'll never see all of it. And then when you kind of see him running from it during the day, okay, it seems almost kind of goofy, like it's not attacking per se, it's just kind of there. And then by the end of the movie, we, we pull the U-turn and it's like, oh, no, that would be a terrifying thing to just see in your house randomly. Right. And and uh, touching on your, your comment on the stills, yeah, I de very careful not to take a still because <laughs> I know for a fact that is the key part to any horror film. When you reveal the creature, that's it, it's done. And I watched trailers for upcoming indie films and they re they reveal the creature I'm like I'm not watching this because I know your creature looks silly <laughs> yeah. so I like that subtlety when the trailer doesn't give no hint of the creature and makes you want to watch the film that's why I mentioned when I saw the poster I'm like hmm this thing must be crazy you know CGI or graphics well, I wasn't expecting that type of creature <laughs> uh, good good the poster um which was made by Devin Fenn, who is uh, Hal in the movie. Um, that was that was mainly his baby, and he's like, I put it on the poster, but you don't know it's on the poster right. unless you really look and you've seen the movie. 
Right, right. That was clever. And I was going to touch base on the the concept because also in your email you mentioned that it was a personal project so what you discussed right now was you've actually seen this creature night terror and served as inspiration so how long did it take for you to create the script and compose this entity that haunted you uh the script was probably um, a couple months off and on because it was actually at the premiere of our last short um, which is called Killer Deal for the sake of linking everything uh, it, at the premiere of our last short afterwards I kind of told the group that I'd started writing what might be what I'd do next or what I'd want all of us to do next if they'd be up for it um, and I said it's going to be called Childish Thing uh, and at that point, after I said it, I'm like, oh, that might have been a bad idea <laughs> because it is such a strange story. And to put it in perspective, Killer Deal um, is a comedy, and it's essentially like a 14-minute long sketch. The joke being, what if, um, you know, all these haunted cabins in the woods, they don't they don't rent themselves. There has to be a realtor whose horrible job it is to show people these haunted cabins. Um, who knows exactly what's wrong with them. And so it's kind of grounded in existing horror tropes, and you can go into it knowing, like, okay, I understand the source material this is touching. And then to go from that to, okay, this is not a parody of anything. Hopefully it's a little funny. Hopefully it's kind of sad. Um, but hopefully it's, you know, not too sad. Um, and hopefully it's legitimately scary at times. Um, and so it took me a couple months and the first draft I probably sent out, uh, was 60 pages, maybe 70. And we had a choice because the festival we aimed at, which is nightmares out of Columbus, great festival. Um, I know you, uh, you've reviewed a couple of their shorts already and they, uh, like it was a 30 minute cutoff for shorts and then an hour for features. And I said, well, either we trim it down and aim for under 30, or we bulk it up and aim for over 60, because if we end up at 45, we're neither fish nor fowl and we're dead in the water. Um, so everyone said, trim it down. We can make it a little sharper. I think the script got down to 52 pages, but I know I write big. So I was like, okay, it'll be shorter than that. And then the first cut was 43 minutes, and we had a couple weeks before the festival. So it was mainly me and the lead actor, who plays Jack Morgan, uh, Morgan McLeod. He came over just to hang out, and I was editing, and there was kind of an agreement. He's like, no, let's let's try to trim it down. And we got it down to that 29.10. Uh, and oof, I mean, I, I think you'll agree, it, it at least moves very fast. But it, um, yeah, I mean, it, it took me a couple months, especially because I didn't, I couldn't figure out a rhythm for it for a while because it is, it was too personal and I kind of grappled with how much do I change? What kind of ending do I want? The In the first draft of the script, the ending was downbeat. I think it was Devin who eventually convinced me like, no, that doesn't fit everything else that happens. Um, which is itself kind of weird for a horror movie. 
that it doesn't end on, on a final, you know, twist in the tail or a final little bit of nihilism. Um, <laughs> right, right. And uh, one thing that surprises me is you're keeping the cost low for zero for your film, yet Killer Deal went on to win Best Ohio Film at uh, Nightmares in 2016. 2016, yeah. Wow. And then the Childish Thing uh, was up for nomination for Best Ohio Short this year, well, last year, 2017. I mean, th mm -hmm. these are great achievements for zero cost. And that's, uh, that's part of why I want to stay at that level was Killer Deal was the first movie I made um, after graduating from Kent State. And like in college, I'd made movies, but most of them, not that I didn't try, but it was that between balancing the movie and schoolwork and the TV show I worked on at, at their station. Um, so it was kind of very quick, shoot fast. All right, does that work? Fine. Um, but I wanted to make something once I graduated that was kind of a, a test because I knew I'm not going to have a lot of money. Uh, I probably won't for any time soon. Um, but now that I'm out, can I make something that I really, you know, put it all on the line for um, and see if it works? Not necessarily, does it win an award? I wanted to get it in somewhere. That was test one. Will it play anywhere? And it did. You know, and I was not expecting an award or a nomination at all. That was, that knocked me out cold. Um, but the other test was, what's the audience going to think? Will it play? Because uh, I'm, I'm, I'm never going to say, like, oh, I made this for fans, not critics. Because, A, I don't have fans. And, B, that's a way to excuse terrible movies. Um, but I, I, to me, that's like, that's why I would make something. I always think about when I'm writing, yes, this is my story, per se. But is this worth seeing to someone outside? Uh, and that's kind of a big challenge is will this be entertaining to someone who has no reason to like it is not related to anyone involved with it. Um, and I can't see their negative reviews on Facebook. Uh, <laughs> will they like it? And so we made that and, and the test was going to be, if it didn't work, it didn't get in anywhere. I probably wasn't going to direct for a while. Um, cause I'm, I'm, I credit myself as a writer first that's free and I can do it anywhere. Um, but that's not, you know, uh, directing. I always felt like I'm, I think I'm outclassed. And then we got that and I'm like, well, okay, I'm going to keep doing this. And with childish things, it's like, I want to make it bigger, more ambitious, uh, and more personal and see if we can do this legitimately, not as a comedy, but as an actual horror movie. And now the next one that we're kind of, we're talking about, and I'm, I guarantee nothing. We're th we're thinking about doing a feature next, but I don't know. That's that's a lot of work. Yeah, it's a it's a lot of work, but it's a good challenge. Yeah, and that, <laughs> well, that's exactly why it's so enticing to me. Exactly, because um, there's nothing I like more than you know almost killing myself. Right, right, and. Once everything is said and done, you can say, hey, yeah, I did the uh, feature. Now what's next? Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's the thing is like, I don't, 
I I had the idea for Childish Thing like a week before Nightmares 2016. So I have no idea what comes after this next project. And fortunately, I don't have to worry about it probably until it's about done. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that, that that's a good plan that's a good plan for yeah. the challenge and the nice thing. thing is like this one sorry let me uh let me wrap up this this statement sure um and the nice thing is for features uh kind of progressing as a writer me and a friend of mine who worked i think on lighting i forget well you've seen the the kind of unique end credits for childish thing we we work on a, a we don't work by guild standards, but um, uh, Wolf Stahl, who worked on that movie, we, we've started writing feature scripts together on the side because um, it's great. It's literally half the work of writing it yourself. Um, and that was kind of a test, too. And then the first script we wrote um, very nearly got made. And then the second script we wrote also showed up at Nightmares 2017 as a finalist in their feature contest so I was like okay why are we keeping these eggs separate let's just write the feature that I'm, I'm gonna make and so that's oh, there's a lot of writing on it mm. and for for your writing before I jump into the next question for your writing uh, how do you compose it do you do the old traditional uh, index cards or what's your workflow final draft um for the shorts, I just sit down and write. I don't really outline much. Um, for features, what we do is we sit down, and obviously it needs to be an idea, uh, and then we outline the three acts on a separate document um, and say, okay, these scenes need to happen. And then we uh, we assign, or at least we take what scenes we want, and it's, it's always you know roughly 50-50, then we write them separately, squeeze them together, read that, iron out different kinks, and then uh, I think for for Nightmares we trimmed it down our script, and we kind of sent it back and forth. I think I did a full pass, revising and tweaking things, and then he did one, and we sent that off. So it's kind of a you know Frankenstein it together, and then keep polishing until it looks like one one monster. Interesting. Uh, let's see, with with the digital tools that are out, it, it makes uh, script writing so much easier compared to before. Oh, entirely. Uh, I really have to uh, credit Writer Duet, which is not a perfect program, but it's free. And we can both contribute to the same uh, script document from anywhere on our laptops. And in real time, you see it show up, what the other person is doing. Uh-uh. that's pretty cool that's pretty cool see these little gizmos you just gotta look for them they, they, they're absolutely wonderful now uh, for the childish thing uh, it was surprising that the setting for this entire supernatural tale happens in the daytime not in the nighttime why was your choice on using the daytime for the setting? Um, everything's scarier in the daytime, which sounds odd because, you know, night, it's dark, there's shadows. And certainly by the end of the movie, we do lean into that a bit. Um, but 
to me, it's scarier if, you know, you wake up, you eat your cornflakes, you walk down the hall, and, and there's a, a, a werewolf in the hallway than if suddenly, okay, you're in the woods and you hear a sound because you're not expecting it. That's the last time and place you'd ever think to see it. I liked the fact that immediately you're on edge. You're on edge because you're not. It's so like the opening of Childish Things. I forget what draft where we got to this point, but like the way it's cut and with the music, right after the opening credits, I wanted it to feel kind of like a comedy. Like you forget, or at least a dramedy. Like it's going to be about this guy putting, you know, not doing his work and just kind of getting over the fact that, oh, he's lived in this house his whole life. What's he going to do? So you kind of forget that you're watching a horror movie. And then once it gets scary again, you're that much more put off because you you don't see it coming. Um, and likewise, with what with what kind of the monster represents and with what the movie's about, you know, that doesn't just happen at night. It doesn't just, the feelings don't come at night. It's It's whenever you least expect it, on your best day, you'll have these sort of old, this old pain come back. Um, so it was important to me. And that was another challenge is can we do this during the day? And more importantly, can we make the monster look decent in broad daylight? Yeah, that was genius work right there. Because you have, you have the whole daylight, you have lighting, every, your, your creature is exposed. That, that's a good risk right there. Oh yeah, and that's I have to give it up to the to the uh, so-called Monster Squad because that's and at different times uh, the monster was played in, in various pieces by uh, is Jensen Strock who's one of the leads, Devin Fenn who's one of the leads, um, Morgan McLeod who's one of the leads, um, and then all right, I'm just gonna list here. Give me a second. Sure, uh, sure, go right ahead. <laughs> I think um, this is your cue right now. <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, Sam Pownell, who did the music, um, Squam slash Sam Scorefield, uh, Marisha Partika. Um, Think Wolf might have done some of it. Uh, Logan Rishaw did some of it. Um, think that might be it for Monster Squad. Yeah, I don't think there's anyone else who did it during that part. Um, and if I did, I apologize to them if they're listening. Uh, but you can't tell who did what because the monster pretty well works uh, and it looks uniform. Yes, it um, does. Yes. But I give them all the credit in the world for making it work uh, because, boy, if you saw the parts of it, it's it shouldn't have. Uh, but they made it. They made it a real thing. Uh, it, it was creepy. And I, I have to applaud also for the choice for the lead, which is an African-American he, uh, lead actor, which is also in these times right now is very rare to see that. So a huge uh, round of applause for that. That's, I just have to rely on, on the Night of the Living Dead thing. That was just because Morgan was perfect for it. And I mean, you can see you can see right away that he's a wonderful actor. I mean, everyone, and, and that's, I'm going to, I'm going to praise them now. And everyone in it is, 
Um, but it's just, I knew he could, he was very, uh, sensitive is the wrong word, but just, you can see in how he moves and things in the movie that he's carrying something. He's a happy guy, you know, he's pleasant, but he's always carrying something like, like there's a little bit of, a little bit of weight always on him. Uh, and I knew like, that's, that's who it's got to be. Uh, and then of course, Devin and Jensen and, uh, and Anna Gallucci who played the mom on the phone cannot be understated how important that little phone call is. Oh, of course. Uh, but, but they're, oh, they're so, they're so great. Um, I mean, the best special effect in that movie are the actors, the people who play the monster, the four people who actually had words to say, the three of those people whose face had to show up and, you know, and freak out and fall on the floor and get sucked into, you know, boxes, but <laughs> they, uh, I couldn't be happier with what everyone did. Yeah. That's a, that's a fine product right there. Fine production. And it's currently in film festival circulation, uh, for 2018 as well. Uh, yeah, I, I think we're, it, I'm, we're not going to get any, uh, acceptance notices for a little bit just because of the way festivals fall. But I think we're, we're in the running for like five or six, maybe. All right. There's something to look, to look out for. So you touched base on your, well, a little bit, you touched base on what you're planning, uh, for the future. Uh, anything in the works right now or are you just easing the idea of the feature for now um right now uh it's mainly hustling this movie uh and like i said we just got online distribution for killer deal which is great so that we don't have to keep disappointing friends and family by telling them you can't see it anywhere but uh right now actually just the other day me and Wolf finished preliminary outline. Um, and well, I guess it wouldn't be, it's probably a third draft of an outline. And we just started writing and we've assigned chunks. So writing the feature is what's right now, what's next. Right. And this is the challenging part of the interview before I close in which I have I give the the opportunity for you, the interviewee, to come up with a question for audiences to answer. It could be related to horror or not, whatever comes to mind. Hmm. Um. Okay, because this is something I think about a lot. Uh, earlier, I mentioned indie horror being dangerous uh, because there are no expectations, which is also another reason I like working at the budget level I work at is that there, there are no expectations. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what kind of story you're going to be told. However, I do think there's, there's another kind of danger in indie horror and that's regurgitation. Uh, I'm not naming names. I don't, I don't want to, I, I'd none come to mind specifically, but and I think you'll agree. If you look at a lot of indie horror, it's it's just kind of a repetition of a very well-known horror movie and you can pick almost any and you'll find an example but just done cheaper and less effectively 
I don't want to criticize it because we, I mean, we all draw from those places. Like I said, killer deal is, um, an ode to evil dead and Texas chainsaw mask and all those things. Um, but you'll see some movies where it literally is a Texas chainsaw massacre sort of equivalent with the same setup and the same kind of scares just done for less. And I think my question is, cause I, and I always never know what they always tend to do well. Um, and people enjoy them because to some extent, if you put, if you put gore in it, you're going to find an audience. And I, I mean that with no disrespect to anyone who loves gore. I understand. But if you put enough, you know, blood and guts, if you keep the the chainsaw revving, you're going to find an audience. So I guess my question for anyone listening is what what do you want out of horror? Um, what do you get? If you like those kinds of movies that are just sort of a greatest hits by a cover band, um, with no disrespect to the cover band, uh, what do you get out of those? What do you like? Um, or horror in general, what what brings you to it? Uh, what do you like seeing? Why do you enjoy it? And there's a lot of questions you just asked for one. But um, it's something, you know, as, now that I make horror movies, and this one has a very strange premise, and it's kind of a strange uh, hook, so I wonder, like, you know, would that satisfy someone who's who's intending on seeing something with a lot of gore in it? Uh, would they rather it be more conventional, that sort of thing? Right. Interesting. And, uh, yeah, I definitely agree. <clears throat> with no disrespect to the cover bands, the, the, the way you put it, yeah, we see so much of that in, in, in the end. Notorious. Hollywood is notorious for doing that shit. Like, really? Oh, yeah. Guys, come on. So many great ideas out there. And well, that's, that's horror. I like the elasticity. I couldn't tell a story like this in any other genre. Um, because otherwise, it, w it would seem silly to, to, take, to take an emotional conflict and make it that literal and literally turn it into a monster. Um, it just wouldn't work anywhere else. Uh, you got that right. Like there's, there's no excuse for it because horror is so flexible. Right, right. And that's what makes this community so great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that's why I'm like, whenever I see something that absolutely knocks me flat, I couldn't see what it was doing coming. I couldn't see where it went. Uh, that I'm like, that's why That's why I like it. It's, it's the best justification in the world right right and to close out our interview this is the open platform you mentioned Mar uh, hustling the film this is your opportunity to hustle the film right now uh, social networking where people can find your films your work yourself uh, so on and so forth Ooh, okay. This is the second hardest part to fill out on a dating uh, website. <laughs> okay. So, um, Childish Thing uh, is playing somewhere probably soon. Uh, if you want updates on that, you can. We're working on making a, a an official Facebook page and all that for the for the team. Um, but for right now, just follow me at D Day Films on Twitter. I think your review of the Childish Thing use the handle so it shouldn't be that hard to find um 
but I just want to go back and talk about, uh, I'm not going back into the interview. Don't worry. I just want to uh, list off more people who worked on all kinds of things on these movies, the way it works. And we might get a little more rigid with this next one, just because of the scope. I, this one I wrote, uh, directed and cut it. Um, but everyone else then just kind of agreed to help out. So on a day-to-day basis, they could be running lights, they could be running audio, they could be a leg, a foot, a neck of the monster, um, which means they they agreed to do this sight unseen. And even though I told them there's a monster I don't know how to depict yet, they're like, yeah, let's start shooting. So I, I owe them uh, more than I could ever say here uh, and more than I could ever show. But for the people who were involved, um, Morgan McLeod, Devin Fenn, Jensen Strock, Anna Gallucci, uh, Marisha Partika, Squam Scorfield, Sam Pownell for his, uh, his great music. That's something I like to highlight because it always gets me. Uh, Andrew Bellinger, uh, Tayshawn Thomas, Wolf Stahl, John Robluski, and one of the biggest names who uh, is one of the least visible, and he's credited very ambiguously as a camera, uh, is Dylan Lusk, who saw it, saw the review of the movie, and his only, his only remark was that no one mentioned how nice the camera was that shot the movie. It's his camera, uh, and he, he helped me operate it. We don't necessarily have a dedicated DP on these movies. Him and I kind of split the duties on this one. Uh, and since he was the only one here, um, I think every day, maybe he missed one, uh, he deserves more than a little bit of the credit for how the movie looks. And if there's any bad shots, don't worry, but those are the ones I did. Um, but yeah, he deserves, he deserves, uh, a big thanks, especially because we might be shooting the next one on his camera and I'm trying to, you know, stay on his good side, but he knows, he knows how well he did. If I forgot anyone, I'll circle back in a minute. Oh, and my mom who helped make the monster, uh, who did some, uh, some stitching work, but, uh, yeah, I couldn't do what I do without any of them. Most of them came over on, uh, started on killer deal. Again, I know almost all of them from a, a show in Kent, uh, but I couldn't do what I do without them. And we're adding more to the next one who've seen this one are like, yeah, I'd like to help out, uh, which is a great a great way to just keep the train rolling. But uh, oh, and Matt Wellfleet who did the drone the drone shots that we didn't use, uh, but that was only for time. It's it's not because they weren't great; they were. But yeah, it's um. I hope you get to see it. I don't know where it's going to go yet. Uh, I will tweet about where it does go. The other thing is Killer Deal. I've been talking for a long time, but Killer Deal should be premiering around the end of the month, maybe early into the next one on Bloody Disgusting's World of Death platform. Uh, I almost guarantee you in advance, if you're squeamish about scary things, A, why are you on this website? But B, the scariest thing about Killer Deal is probably the world of death bump at the beginning. It's mainly a comedy. Uh, but I hope you see that. And yeah, uh, I hope you enjoy it. I hope if you have a job that you reach out. Uh, uh, and I hope uh, I get to talk about the next project around here because it's, uh, it's a great site and it's a great community. And uh, sounds like I'm campaigning for president. So I feel like that's that's how I ought to end it. 
I'm sure he does, definitely. And uh, how how was the film shot? DSLR, red? Uh, it was on a Lumix, so kind of a, a DSLR step up. Um, it was the first thing we ever shot in 4K, or at least I ever shot in 4K. So that was a that was a fun new undiscovered territory. Uh, it almost wrecked my computer at one point, but boy, does it look nice. Oh yeah, is it, it, you, could, you could tell uh, when I review films. I'm watching it in, in my studio, uh, high res, high res TV, and you can see the it's very crisp. You could tell. Um, the uh, I'm I'm glad it looked crisp because Killer Deal we shot on a DSLR with an anamorphic adapter, which is sort of a, a 15 pound looks like a, a hunk of cheese that you attach to the front of a lens, and it's just a curved piece of glass. So the image on the camera comes in squeezed. Everyone looks real thin, and then in post you stretch it and it gives you a wider uh, scope than you would have had otherwise, and it looks really weird. I love how it looks, but I think it also kind of hurt uh, our chances of some festivals because it does at times make it look like we shot it with a worse camera than we did. Um, but for that movie, I wanted to do kind of a John Carpenter style, and you have to do anamorphic. Uh, and I wanted it to look like old, bad film, and it helped. Right, right. And good thing that you mentioned, the editing 4K. If your computer is not up to par... Wow, that is going to the 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 rendering time would be like uh, seventy two hours. Oh yeah, it's and like my computer, I suppose you could lump that into the budget. But I just got a newer one right around the time I think we started shooting, um, and so it was kind of I it was made to cut heavy video files, and even that after a while. Ooh, it started to get kind of sticky with misuse. Uh, well, uh, personally, I prefer the the build-it-yourself kits because you could always expand the you know, the processors and the memory. You could just keep on going as opposed to... Oh, no, that's to, what I have. Oh, that's, that's, yeah. that's a so great that was, uh, For the feature, I might have to add a little bit more RAM. Uh, we'll see. Right, yeah. Apple for me is oh, it is a totally different conversation, but Apple for me is uh, overrated. I prefer to build you, the build your own kits. Oh, amen, brother. I uh, <laughs> I am I am no Apple uh, Apple fan because to me it's just they they eliminate features so that they're easier to use. But I want those features. Right, and the parts if you want to upgrade cost an arm and a leg. If you go the other route. You could get a very great processor that that will last you a good four, well, yeah, four years, and it's not gonna hurt your wallet so much. Yeah, it's like Legos; you can just keep snapping stuff on. Pleasure uh, speaking about your perspectives on filmmaking, uh, your your work, and everything in between. Thank you for your time for this interview, and all I can say is best of luck, and I look forward to speaking again. Once you have your feature in development, or just you know updates for the childish thing. Oh, uh, God willing, there will be many. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Everything is gonna be uh, positive. Uh, the freight train straight to the top. <laughs>
that's uh that's how I like to think of it. 